in reading the scripture for the, today. Um, we have the Old Testament reading from Habakkuk, um, chapter 2. Um, we'll be reading verse 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19 through 20. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust game, to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin until they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to a lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth silent, be silent before him. Now from Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 5. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. What is the world coming to is the question that the prophet Habakkuk has been wrestling with. And this very small book in the Old Testament helps us as we ask that same question in our day, even 2,600 years after Habakkuk first asked it. It's been a long-standing question. One of the reasons we ask, what is the world coming to, is because we see so many people doing so much evil to others and seeming to get away with it. Dictators and drug lords and terrorist groups and corrupt authorities all seem to be doing quite well. Habakkuk saw the powerful nation and empire and enemy of Babylon descending upon his country of Judah, which was the southern part of the kingdom of Israel. And he wonders why God would let them have their way. The Lord has told Habakkuk, that he is doing a work Habakkuk would not believe. And the Lord has said, it's not always going to be this way. And that those who are right with the Lord will live by faith in the midst of the darkness and the surrounding evil that they find themselves. The book of Habakkuk tells us to live by faith in God, whose presence is not always obvious in a very unstable world. And now the Lord assures Habakkuk that Babylon, this evil, 
unjust, arrogant people, they will get theirs. Judgment will come upon them. Don't we love revenge? Be honest. Don't we love revenge? Uh, don't we love to see the bad guy get it? How many, I mean, how many movies, how many television shows make their bread and butter and have done so for decades because the bad guys and the bad guy gets it in the end? I saw a movie just advertised this week. It's coming out, but I, I obviously haven't seen it. I know what it's about. Uh, it's called Jane Gets Her Gun. And I saw the picture, and if you saw it, you know exactly what it's about. And whoever messes with Jane in the end, I guess they're going to get it. Uh, And when a Saddam Hussein or an Osama bin Laden is killed, we take to the streets and we wave flags and there's celebrations because someone who has caused so much death has now been taken down forever. And then we say, well, maybe there is justice after all. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Remember that? Vengeance is mine. And do you know why he has to say that? Because we want so badly to take revenge into our own hands. Natural. The Lord knows what Babylon is. He knows its greed. He knows its arrogance. He knows its brutality. And the Lord assures Habakkuk that while he is using Babylon's evil to deal with the evil of Judah, Babylon will not escape the Lord's judgment for the things that they do. And in the second chapter of Habakkuk, the Lord speaks five woes to Babylon. Woes. Um, Woe is not a word you want to hear if you're in the Bible. If someone says woe to you in the Bible, it, it doesn't mean good things. And this is not the colloquial woe that we, you know, today woe means, oh, cool, woe. Or, whoa, man, awesome. That's not what woe means in the Bible. Woe has a very different meaning in the Bible. It means watch out. Uh, Or your Bible might say, what sorrow awaits? That's a good interpretation of the word woe. And woe is more than just, you're going to get it now. But it has a sense of sadness to it. It means that someone is going to go down, and it's not really something to be celebrated. It's not so much condemnation as it is sadness. God says woe to Babylon, not to gloat over them. God loves the violent too. He would love to see them change. Remember Jonah? God sends the prophet Jonah to wicked Nineveh so that they will change, so that they will repent, so that he can have mercy on them even though they're an evil nation. God isn't interested in just sending people to hell. He's in the saving business. He is full of mercy, and it breaks his heart to see people who don't acknowledge him or who do not live by faith. Isaiah, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, he uses a lot of woes. Uh, Woe this, woe that. Uh, He speaks woe to those who accumulate houses and land unjustly. Isaiah speaks woe to those who spend all their time in luxurious partying and dancing. Interestingly, one of the woes that Isaiah proclaims is against those who want the Lord to hurry up and who have no patience to wait on the Lord. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and who call good evil. The prophet Amos, he speaks woes in his messages. Jesus spoke woes 
we have an account where Jesus speaks seven woes to the religious leaders of his day, calling them hypocrites, calling them blind guides. In Revelation, the last book of the Bible, there are, there are seven, um, excuse me, there are double woes. Woe, woe. These are spoken against the figure who is the great whore of Babylon, who's probably symbolic not only of the Roman Empire, but of every evil regime that it's raised its ugly head over the history of the world. And that Babylon is the symbolic name for evil, corruption, and violence shows how, shows something of what the original Babylon in Habakkuk's day was like and its place in biblical history. Well, in Habakkuk, the Lord speaks of Babylon in the singular. He's speaking of Babylon in the singular, like he or his. So keep that in mind as you're, as you're reading this. And the first woe that the Lord speaks through Habakkuk about Babylon is they're piling up stolen goods. They are getting rich by extortion. They are taking things that are not theirs, and they're doing it unjustly. I remember being in Yangon, Myanmar, sometimes known as Burma. And I had visited, uh, I'd been taken by a pastor to his house where his congregation met. And also a school there was meeting in his house, a school of children that he and his wife took responsibility to educate them. Uh, in 2008, Cyclone Nargis left a number of children orphaned in Southeast Asia and in Myanmar. And this pastor had opened his home not only to his church but to his family. The house was not large. It was very simple. Uh, it was the place of worship for that community of Christians because Christianity is a persecuted faith there. And the pastor introduced me to a woman who was now living with the pastor, along with her children, living with the pastor and his family. And only days before, two or three days before, the government had ordered this woman out of her home and confiscated it because they wanted the land. There was no hearing. There was no due process. There was no compensation. There was nothing that could be done. I can't remember if she had a husband. She might have. He might, she might have been a widow. Maybe the husband was arrested. But she and her children were now in this home because their home had been stolen by the authorities. Now, at that time, Burma was a military dictatorship. And what the military wanted, the military got. That still happens in that country despite some significant changes that have happened since I was there. But it was incredibly sobering and sad. It just left me staggered, stunned that that could happen. The Lord tells Habakkuk, a day will come when those whom Babylon has held in debt and whom they have plundered by bloodshed, that those people will rise up and do the same to Babylon. The second woe is to those who built their house or their palace with unjust gain. They put it on a high hill or behind the gate of a wall. They do this in some paranoid search for privacy and security. You can go to Israel, Palestine today and you can visit the ruins of Herod's palaces. He had palaces. And they are always up on some high hill far away and they speak of luxury and they speak of this paranoid lifestyle of being far away from people. Now, the king of Babylon was named Nebuchadnezzar. If you're a Bible reader, you remember his name. And Nebuchadnezzar's palace was lavishly furnished, 
enclosed with a wall that was 136 feet thick. And Nebuchadnezzar had his name written on the outside of every brick that made up that wall. And the hanging gardens in Nebuchadnezzar's palace were considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Nebuchadnezzar named his palace the marvel of mankind. I don't know what your house looks like. Nebuchadnezzar had this kind of place. And he didn't pay union wages, nor did he ask much if anyone wanted to help build this, if you know what I mean. And the Lord says that the very evil which with the opulent houses of Babylon were built will cry out from the stones, they will cry out from the woodwork. The injustice is just embedded in the structures. The third woe speaks against building a city by bloodshed and a town by crime. You can imagine what kind of government this probably was. Today, Radical Islam wants to establish a caliphate. It's done by force. It's done by bloodshed. It's done violently. Again, when I was in Myanmar, I saw people working on the roads, digging ditches, doing backbreaking manual labor because someone came knocking on their door and demanded that they do it. In essence, the infrastructure was built on slave labor. And the Lord says through Habakkuk, in Habakkuk, that these people who... who perpetuate this, do it in futility. And he says, a day is moving when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The fourth woe points to how people, how the powerful were making people drunk so that they could take advantage of them. This may have referred to some kind of shameful, hazing uh, form, something that they did over the conquering victims, the, the victims that they conquered in Babylon. Whether it happens in the palaces of Babylon, whether it happens in a frat house at a university, or whether it happens at the corporate parties in Las Vegas. To manipulate people into compromising and degrading situations is evil in the sight of the Lord. Those who are degrading others are told that the cup of the Lord is coming around to them. The cup of the Lord. Now, the cup of the Lord is a symbol throughout Scripture as a symbol of God's judgment. Several times in Scripture we read, the cup of the Lord is in his right hand ready to be drunk by the wicked. For example, Isaiah 75, he says, in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to the dregs. In Ezekiel, the wicked of Jerusalem The city of the Lord, no less, his own people, will drink a large and deep cup filled with ruin and desolation. In Jeremiah, the Lord tells uh, Judah they will have to live in Babylon for 70 years, but he knows the plans he has for them, plans for a future and a hope. And then the Lord says after 70 years he'll punish Babylon. And then this, this is what the Lord God of Israel said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath, and make all the nations whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger. They will go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Is this part of what Jesus was getting at in Gethsemane when he prayed to the Father, may this cup pass from me? 
Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for the violence and the bloodshed of the world. He drank the cup of our own drunkenness and violence. There's another way the cup is used in Scripture. It is the cup of blessing that the Lord gives. The Lord is sometimes mentioned as a cup. What he gives can be a cup of blessing. Our Lord Jesus Christ offered a cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins at communion. Did he not? This cup is the only alternative to the cup of God's judgment. And every person has to decide in our lives what cup we will drink from. In Habakkuk, we discover the Lord's not only concerned about people and power structures, he's also concerned about his creation. We read this, that the violence you, he's speaking to Babylon, the violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you've shed people's blood, you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Lebanon was known for its beautiful cedar wood, and Babylon is judged for plundering the wonderful wood that is found in Lebanon and also for slaughtering large numbers of animals. So today we see the rainforest being destroyed for selfish reasons. We see elephants being poached for their ivory for selfish reasons and and other acts of destruction to the creation and the animals that God has created. God's not indifferent to the exploitation of his creation, and he speaks woe to those who do so. Those who find the care of the world as an expression of their faith, your faith, you will find affirmation here. Now the final woe spoken against Babylon in Habakkuk gives us insight into the religion of Babylon that motivated the stealing, that motivated the forced labor, the greed, the drunkenness, the devastation of natural resources and the bloodshed and the violence. Babylon worship involved a pantheon of idols made of wood and stone. Idol worship at its most basic. Idol worship is misplaced trust. It is when we look to something other than the Lord God as the center of our lives. Show me what you worship. I'll show you who you are. And you may think, well, idol worship, that's kind of a primitive practice. That doesn't happen in our modern, enlightened American day. Hmm. Might not happen that way, but it happens in different ways. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the poet, wrote this. He said, a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. God speaks woe to worshiping anything or anyone but him. Five different woes pronounced upon the mighty Seemingly indestructible kingdom of Babylon. Babylon's domination of the world began in Nebuchadnezzar's time, took place approximately 612 B.C. By 539, they were in turn conquered. They were done. That's not a lot of time in the whole scope of the history of the world. But nevertheless, 
just like with Hitler's Germany and Stalin's Russia and Pol Pot's Cambodia, to name a few, we might say, yeah, but that was long enough. Because how long, how long is a question we ask God? And Eugene Peterson reminds us, you know what, there's no biblically straight answer to that question. We're not given a date or a time to how long. Nevertheless, there's this lively belief in God's people that God will someday judge all evil. And that belief remains alive in millions of Christians today. He says, what accounts for this? He asks, what accounts for this persistent belief among people who continue to live with unanswered questions? For it is most remarkable that communities of faith in the face of accumulating and not yet avenged injustice, persevere in believing that God is just and that he will judge. The persistence of that prayer, how long, shows a deep, unshakable conviction that God will bring an end to all injustice, even though it doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon. Those who live by faith continue to believe, you know what, there's a moral order to this universe. There is. And it's why we pray for God's justice. It's why we work for change. It's why we want things to be different. It's why we sometimes protest or give voice or advocate for people or the powerless. It's why we care for people. It's why we love people. It's, it's why we try to meet God's world with compassion and mercy and justice. And justice does at times comes. It does show up in different ways. God's judgment takes effect in this world, and empires and rulers and systems have been brought down. Yeah, slavery has been abolished. Yes, apartheid gets dismantled. Yeah, a dictator is brought down. Yes, a country finds renewal. But pain and brokenness still persist. We know that. God's ultimate judgment is yet to come in perfection. There are many, many things we find difficult to understand in that last book of the Bible, Revelation. But one message of God is clear. The message that God will someday judge all that is evil. It says, God has remembered her crimes. That's what we read. God has remembered. Habakkuk wondered if God was paying any attention. Indeed, he was. Indeed, he is. We learn from reading Habakkuk, that book, that appearances don't always reveal the reality. And the arrogant who deny God in their words and in their work have created their own punishment, which just simply affirms that God's dealing with injustice works on a larger and longer scale than human beings can even see. Even though the wicked appear strong, they're weak and they're sick. They're as good as dead because they've taken death to themselves. That is part of the vision that Habakkuk saw. And this all ends, you read the last verse of the second chapter, it all ends with a call that the Lord is in his holy temple. Now let all the earth keep silence before him. Because the wise know when enough has been said, when it's time to shut up, when you stand before an authority, whether it's divine or human, with whom we need to be circumspect. And this is especially true with Lord God Almighty. Silence reveres God. 
It leaves it with God. It trusts God for what's going to happen. In the meantime, we live by faith. Living by faith in God takes courageous confidence that despite suffering and evil, despite terrorism and domestic conflict, God's plan in Jesus Christ cannot fail. The years are going to bring slow progress, but steady progress towards his kingdom. We see it now and again in little glimpses. And the day will come when everything will be changed in Christ. And so we hold on to that vision. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that Habakkuk had the courage to speak up when he saw so much injustice in the world. Help us to take heart that you do see, you do know, you do take into account wickedness. Continue to give us trust and patience in the long waiting. For we pray to, we look to, we keep holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.